It's the Farmer to Farmer podcast, episode 97, and this is your host, Chris Blanchard. Eva Rehack and Rebecca Fraser-Sasson are members of CoinBio, that's Organic Corner in English, a small marketing co-op at the Dieppe Farmers Market in Dieppe, New Brunswick. With a total of four farms, the Organic Corner Co-op allows these farmers to show up at market with the greatest diversity of produce in southeastern New Brunswick. Eva and Rebecca shared the details of how they make the co-op work, including how they decide who sells what and how they structure the finances to keep the cooperative operating and vital. We also dig into how they resolve conflict and avoid conflict within the venture, and the attitude and approach that make Organic Corner a positive experience for farmers and customers alike. We also discuss the realities of raising families on the farm and the political activism they've participated in around child care subsidies in New Brunswick. I really enjoyed talking to Eva and Rebecca. I hope you enjoy this episode, too. Hey, before we dive into our sponsor messages, I want to make a comment about last week's episode with Diane Sukavati. Several people have made comments to me about the poor quality of the audio in that episode. I had a recording that I thought was okay, and it wasn't. I want you to know that I'm doing everything in my power to not have that happen again. Thank you for your support. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is sponsored by Vermont Compost Company, founded by organic crop growing professionals committed to meeting the need for high quality compost and compost based living soil mixes for certified organic plant production. VermontCompost.com. And by BCS America. BCS two wheel tractors are versatile, maneuverable in tight spaces, lightweight for less compaction, and easy to maintain and repair on the farm. Gear driven and built to last for decades of dependable service. BCSAmerica.com. Eva Rehack and Rebecca Fraser Sasson, welcome to the Farmer to Farmer podcast. Hello, hi Chris. I'm so sorry about my lack of of decent French, even even passable French pronunciation. It's an embarrassment to everybody with the last name of Blanchard. So sorry about that. <laughs> no worries. Most of the time, when I've had two people on the podcast before, it's been two people from the same farm. But this is actually a little bit different because you guys do some cooperative marketing. And I wanted to spend a fair amount of time talking about that today. But Eva, could you start off by telling us about your farm? Sure. Of course I can, Chris. Um, So we are situated in Samovis, New Brunswick. Uh, It is about half hour to 45 minutes north of Moncton. Uh, We are just finishing up our seventh year. So we purchased the farm back in uh, November 2009, and our first year was in 2010. Um, It's just me and my partner. We are now growing on two acres with uh, two greenhouses. Um, We do the CSA, that's our primary uh, farm income and our production, and then we also go to the Dieppe market under the organic corner. And how big is your farm? Uh, Well, we own 126 acres, but the farm itself, we grow on about two, two and a half acres, including our greenhouses. And and is your CSA associated with the marketing co-op, or is that something you do just on your own? CSA is just each farm has their own uh, CSA and partners. Uh, the co-op is really just for, uh, first it was just our surplus, but now we basically grow for the market as well. And Eva, you should tell yeah. us the name of your farm too, because I was going to do that, but I knew I'd, I'd bullocks it up. So I'm letting you, I'm going to let you have a shot at that. No problem. So our, our farm name is Thelm Alva Farm. And just a quick thing, Alva comes from my partner, Alain, and myself, Eva. But a little quick fact, apparently Thomas Edison's middle name is Alva as well. <laughs> Found that out this morning. Nice, nice. 
and Rebecca, can you tell us a little bit about your farm? Yeah, our farm is called Ferm Ter Partagi, and in English that means shared land, um, and it has multiple meanings or multiple reasons why we, we called it that, but one is because it's been passed through generations, so I'm the sixth generation on uh, these lands. Um, uh, when our ancestors came from Nova Scotia, from Cape Breton, they came to this town that is now called Rogersville in New Brunswick. It's about an hour south, uh, north of Moncton. And uh, we hope that it's going to be passed on to many generations, but not necessarily all through our, you know, our own lineage. So we hope to open up the farm and bring new partners and um, enthusiasm to this region. And uh, we do mostly, our main activity right now is vegetable production. Uh, we also, like Eva, have a CSA and market through the organic corner at the Dieppe market, but we also have a market in Miramichi, which is a small city about uh, 50 kilometers north of us. And we also have strawberries, so we have... Um, a organic strawberry you pick of a few acres and we do some livestock because uh, my father is still farming and has been for 45 years and he does beef um, cattle and pork and also grains and uh, and hay and we raise uh, and when I say we I mean my partner Kevin and I and um we raise chickens and turkeys that we sell sort of on the on the direct market so directly to consumers and and both your farms are located in New Brunswick which it, I mean I I have to admit I don't know a whole lot about New Brunswick but when I hear it it doesn't strike me as being the sort of place where you'd find a lot of organic vegetable farms in the time when we started um, there wasn't that many but it is starting to develop, I find, and uh, it was actually a really good location for us because we didn't come from farming backgrounds. <clears throat> My family's all in Ontario, so we quickly looked Ontario, Quebec for land as well to be kind of in between, but it just wasn't affordable, so that's why we chose New Brunswick, and they're starting to pop up around here, I find. And a lot of times affordable farmland goes alongside of good farmland. Were you able to find good land in, in New Brunswick? We actually lucked out. Um, the the like the land that we took all around us. There was somebody that comes and cuts the hay for uh, for themselves. But our land, it just it was um, in French. It's en jachère ou en friche, but it's basically that it was just let go. Nobody was cutting it, so even little trees and saplings started growing. So it just kept building up matters because about 15 years they haven't been working that land, so it just grows and dies and grows. So we have a good, like, 10 inches or a good foot and a half that's deep of topsoil. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful. Eva, you had an educational background in agriculture, right? Uh, yeah, we, uh, that's where I met uh, my partner, Alain, is in... Um, it was at the time part of the University of Guelph, Collège d'Azred, uh, which became part of the University of Guelph and now isn't anymore, but it still exists. And um, in that school, that's where uh, I took technicien agricole. So basically, it is an agricultural technician. And Rebecca, your family has been farming for 
well, you said since 1886 there. So you grew up on the farm and grew up around the sort of activity that you're doing now. Uh, I did. I grew up on the farm. Um, from the time that I can remember, my dad has been doing mostly uh, pigs. And although they did, there's a long history of vegetable production in this town and in my family. That was that kind of ended when they lost a bunch of contracts and uh, the co-op went down uh, in the early 90s. So um, uh, what we're doing now, uh, vegetable production being our main activity, was not sort of what I was exposed to other than in our own family garden growing up. What prompted you to get into vegetable production? Well, when I decided to come back to the farm, it was actually just with the just doing a little project, what I considered to be a little project, and planting two and a half acres of strawberries. Um, so it was not a little project. <laughs> not little. <laughs> much too big to handle, but that's how I started. And I've been doing strawberries ever since, just, you know, for the simple reason that strawberries are, I think, the most delicious fruit that we can produce and a good way to bring uh, people to the farm and to generate interest and sort of a, a renewal, like a renewal, uh, because this farm, you know, people, everyone knows it, it's here, but there wasn't an opportunity for people to come to the farm and to buy directly from us. And then I think people were just interested in, in more, in vegetables. I started going to the market with a little bit, and then there was interest for a CSA, so I was getting asked from by people at the market for a CSA. So just sort of going with uh, what uh, what where the requests were coming from, but also with what I saw other people like Eva and Alain doing um, elsewhere in New Brunswick. Now, you both came to my attention because Tara at Acorn Organic, which is the Atlantic Canadian Organic Regional Network, and I've done some work with with Tara off and on for the last couple of years, but she said, you should get in touch with these guys to talk with them about their their marketing co-op. So can you tell us a little bit about the marketing co-op and how that works? So the, the Organic Corner uh, started five years ago, and it started with three farms that we decided uh, the year before we were talking and we see each other that in early, um, like early in the day, we had full tables and by the midway, it started dwindling. And by like 11 o'clock, the market finishes at 1.30, we always saw that we had less traffic. So we decided to talk that winter and we got together that two of the farms were CSAs. And usually when you do a CSA, you have about 40 to 50 different vegetables, herbs, and a few fruits. So we got together and then slowly we, um, uh, Rebecca joined us with her strawberries. And then after that, we have the fourth farm that joined us. So now we're four farms and a potential, another fifth farm will probably join us in another year or so. Um, and it, we just offer the diversity of vegetables, fruits, herbs, all local, organic, uh, freshly picked. And the idea is that together we can offer uh, what we we think is the greatest diversity of organic produce in southeastern New Brunswick. Um, so we have 40 different vegetables or plus, but we also have for every vegetable, um, you know, two or three or more varieties. So when we decide 
what we're bringing to market, um, we always consider, okay, well, you're bringing beans, well, you're what kind of beans, and we make sure that there's every color of beans on the table. Now, the only place that the Organic Corner Cooperative is selling right now is at the farmer's market. Is that right? At the Diet Farmer's Market, yes. Okay. Um, there are in, in Moncton, there are two farmer's markets. So there's the Diet Market and the Moncton. Right now, we're at the Diet Market. And I mean, I'm always interested in co-ops because I tend to be a I do it myself, I do it my own way kind of a guy. And and I've always looked at people who can who can dig in and cooperate with with a certain amount of envy, you know. And so I'm curious how you guys make decisions about like who's going to bring what to farmers market because there must be situations when you've both got green green beans and or maybe all four of you have green green beans but you're not going to sell everybody's beans at the market at least or maybe you are yeah, well, but yeah, that's definitely the case, and it does require more organization. Like, we, we go to two markets, so we go to Miramichi and to Dieppe, and it's more organization around the Dieppe market and the organic corner, more communication, um, but in the end, very worth it, we think. Um, so the way that it works right now, and some of the big decisions around the co-op are taken during the winter, because uh, that's when we have time to sit down and really hash things out. Um, we have our AGM usually in January, and we have a few uh, other meetings before or after. Um, but then the sort of week-to-week decisions are taken by email. So uh, Alva Farms and uh, Windy Hill Farm, which are the two... Um, we call primary farms, I guess, because, as again, I guess it's the grandfather clause, as we like to call it, in a way. Yeah, they're, they're, they were the two of the founding members of the, the co-op before it was even a co-op. Um, and they, so they t- take turns being the, the, the priority farm. And so, let's say Eva, on Wednesday, sends out an email with what she's bringing to market. And she's very specific about if she's bringing uh, cherry tomatoes, how many pints she thinks. You know, obviously, it's it's an estimate, and it's a rough estimate. Um, or if she's bringing carrots, are they orange, or are they purple, or are they red, or whatever. Then the next farm will, and it's already established, you know, who that is, um, will say, okay, to complement or to supplement, I can bring another 50 pints of cherry tomatoes or, uh, you know, because we have an idea of how many we can sell just from experience. Um, and we always try to push the envelope to, like, well, we know we can sell 100, but we're going to try, you know, 25 this week. We're going to bring 125 and take that little risk for potential long-term gain. Um, and then same, the, the third farm comes in, um, and usually we're the third farm. And we have another market too, so we have a little bit more flexibility in, in that end. It's a smaller market in a smaller, in a smaller city. Um, and then we, we, during strawberry season, bring strawberries, so we have the priority on strawberries. So if another farm has a few extra pints or, you know, whatever that they want to sell, ours gets sold first and if they're available. The the fourth farm, Jardin Vers l'Avenir, they have priority on greens. So 
It doesn't matter, you know, if Alva Farms is the priority farm, uh, Jardin Vers l'Avenir, if they're bringing spinach or if they're bringing uh, Asia Mix or, you know, whatever it is, they have priority on those sales. But if, there's, if they don't have enough for that market, then someone else can jump in. How do you go about setting prices in that kind of an environment? Prices, again, that's one thing that we talk about over winter. Um, and we kind of, there's, I guess, two, three factors that we look at. One is looking at the different prices already at the Diet market, so we don't compete with them. So there are two other organic farms, so we check what their prices are and we try to stay about the same. And then whatever the conventionals are, we try to go a little bit higher since we're organic. Um, we also check the uh, organic price tracker, so we check if we're also in line with that. And then we also t- just go uh, into the grocery stores and see what their prices are and try to be, I guess, I wouldn't say higher than them, but, you know, that uh, we're not being undercut either because we are fresher um, and local as well. So we, we try to emphasize on that. And usually our prices, like Eva was saying, are established uh, during the winter. But uh, then if, you know, you're the only farm that has um, celery root and we haven't established a price, then it's up to that farm to, to decide for how much they want to sell it. And we, we change prices too if something is not selling or, you know, if... If it's early in the season and yeah. we're the first ones uh, to have cherry tomatoes, mm-hmm. we might sell them a bit more for the last ones as well. Uh, and I know for one example is watermelons too. Ours can sometimes get really big and we either one year sell them by the by the fruit or we'll sell them a dollar, dollar twenty-five a pound. And uh, we also see the customer's reactions. If you see that someone's, you know, half the people are reacting that it's too high of a price, then we might change it. Usually it's the high price that they'll react to. But, uh, yeah, so there's all these little little details that we look at to make sure we, we come out on top. Well, and for those kinds of decisions that are being made at the market, which in my experience working farmer's market, that's it's important to have that kind of flexibility and to be able to react to what you see going on there. Who makes those decisions? How do, how do you guys... I mean, because that's, I mean, obviously you're not going to stand there at the farmer's market and and Eva's not going to email Rebecca and say, ah, what do you think we should do about the leftover celeriacs? Well, um, we have also, um, I guess, I don't know if it's the right word to say, incorporated the cooperative. So as of last year, we we also have a president, a vice president, and a secretary. Um, So these three people, uh, we meet, uh, I think we're going to have like four calls or six calls in the whole year. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We've also made a marketing committee. So we talk about also the prices or how to display things. So that's another um, group that we talk about, uh, talk with. And then there's, I'm, I go to the market every other week I sell because that's the other thing that uh, we include in, into the cooperative. So you do have the primary farm that sends the list. Well, that primary farm also, uh, if it's my week, then I will be the market manager, as we say. So I will be at the market. Then there's Allison from Windy Hill Farm. So we alternate back and forth. And Kevin, he's the president. So um, we're usually all three of us are there. Um, and so we can see and talk. And emails are quite quick, too. So if it was my Saturday, um, at the end of the 
of the of the day, I might email and be like, you know what, next week we outsold carrots, we should send more, or this uh, price, you know, we could put a little bit more. So it's a lot of communicating. Yeah, and a lot happens, um, like Eva was saying, like just in because it's a small co-op, like it, there's a good chance that the three or four members could be at the market at the same time, dropping off stuff. Um, but the other thing that is that there is a market manager and that person is, you know, it's their responsibility and we have entrusted them with making those kind of decisions, like on-the-spot decisions. And uh, we can talk about them afterwards and if um, it, was, it wasn't the best for the co-op, then, you know, we'll have a, a conversation via email or in person and say, oh, let's try not doing that or something else next week. But it's their... Um, their call, I guess, the market manager. Because one thing that maybe we didn't explain is that um, so we sell as the organic corner, but we are we pay um, our market manager to to be at the market as well as a market assistant if it's a market that needs two people, and we do that by taking a percentage of our sales and putting it back into the co-op. So. We, um, yeah, let's say we sell for, well, I'm not going to try to do math. Uh, I can just explain it is what you send to the market. So if we send about like $1,000 worth and we sell 900 the 900 is ours minus a percentage that goes to the organic corner. Uh, if Windy Hill Farms sends for, you know, 1500 and sells only 1400 she gives only percentage from that and the, four t- the rest goes to her. Yeah, of what and you sell. Exactly. Yeah. sends theirs, again, percentage. And- Does that require a lot of detailed record keeping at the market or is that something that's that's come along pretty naturally for you i guess um we've developed it over the years like uh we've um how should i say made even a a paper where everybody writes so each farm has their own sheet of paper written what they send and then we've made it that it's written quite easily um the amount that they've sent then we calculate so again if it's my week i'll calculate everybody's uh amounts that are returned and then the third line is I do the subtraction and then I multiply it by the price. So every farm has basically these three columns with uh, after that their total. The money gets split uh, amongst ourselves and the rest uh, stays with CoinBio. So what percentage does does the organic corner CoinBio take out of what you sell? Uh, we started, if I may say, so uh, we started with 20%, and then last uh, AGM, we kind of re-talked about it, that um, it was a high number, and right now we're, we weren't in the midst of necessarily purchasing any, any big items, whether it was a cooling truck or more infrastructure. So we put it down to 17 with the agreement that Partage is at 16% because they are the furthest from the market. And the reason that we were at 20 at that time is we were also covering the cost of transporting your produce to the market. So when we reduced it, we said it's the farm's responsibility to get their stuff to the market. So we'll take this, you know, 3% or in our case, 4% off um, and the and the 16 or the 17% will only go towards um, the market manager position, the market assistant position, anything that we have to buy, marketing equipment for the for the stand, and of course any future projects of the co-op as well. The 
stall as well. I was just going to add. Right. The stall rental fee. Yeah. Yeah. So future expenses for the clock, because I think this is something, I mean, it's it's true in a lot of small businesses, but I've I've also seen a lot of, of small joint marketing efforts really suffer from this is that they don't end up with any reserve funds. Do you guys have any savings for the co-op? I mean, at the end of the year, do you have money left over that you can say, wow, next year we're going to, you know, we really want to upgrade the containers that we're using at farmer's market, or we're going to get a new tent uh, with brighter colors, or is it... Is it really something where you're having to raise the money as you go along? Raising, no. I think we may even go, like, drop it a little, if I if I may say that now. But uh, no, right now our reserve is good. Um, so far we've always calculated how much money we need, um, like, for a Saturday, which, like we mentioned, includes stall, the salaries, um, and those are the, the main ones, I guess. So, And once that has been covered, anything extra stays with Coin or the organic corner. And right now, we are at a the opposite of surplus. Surplus. There we go. We're at a surplus. So I know the only thing is that we kind of look into, do we want to spend the money a little before um, the end of year? Yes. Yep. Year's end. There we go. Before the year's end, or um, but we do have in in the back of my our minds that we need to keep something because we need to start the year as well, um, the first market, so we can pay off the the salaries and the stall fees and things like that. So we do have a surplus. And I'm interested that you said that you used to do transportation of the mm-hmm. of the product to market, but then you decided to stop doing that. Which to me that seems like one of the the big values that. That doing cooperative marketing offers is on that logistics side of things. Can you talk a little bit about the decision to to have growers bring their own stuff to the market? Well, people were bringing their own stuff no matter what. So the organic corner didn't have a vehicle. It was just covering the cost of transporting. Um, oh, okay. And, yeah. And it ended up that especially in the you know main part of the season – Everyone was having to bring it themselves, whereas sometimes um, Alva Farms and Windy Hill are close to get, like close to each other, so they could sometimes coordinate and just have one vehicle go. But that's really just at the beginning of the season. Um, all the rest of the time, they have to send two trucks, anyways, and we're the furthest away. Uh, we're about. Uh, a bit more than 100 kilometers away from the market. So it was also just um, logistically more difficult, like um, figuring out how to make it um, cooperative and fair, I guess, and who's... Because we're always going to have to bring our stuff. Um, And it's actually further for us to go bring it to one of the other farms than just to bring it to market. So... It was just easier, I guess, last year we took the decision to take a little bit of, you know, reduce the percentage that the organic corner was taking and just let everyone figure out their own transportation. And if it makes sense for two farms to collaborate, they can do that sort of outside of the organic corner. And the percentage that we took down going from 20 to 17, um, one of our members calculated it that that's what basically it cost for the season, that it was the 3%. And for Taufastage's case, it was 4% that we took off. So like I mentioned, for me, it's it's hard to imagine working 
this closely with a group of people and and making these kinds of decisions and really trusting other people in a group to be looking out after my own interest as part of everybody else's interest. Can you talk a little bit about the advantages and why you guys decided to go this way? Sure, I can start. Um, So the reason we kind of created this cooperative was um, the cooperative was there to help each farm, I guess, get to their potential to start building up that uh, the clientele as well. So um, again, when we started, we did the upmarket by ourselves as Alva Farm, and uh, we had a full table at 7 o'clock. We had our lettuces, carrots, uh, celery at the time. Uh, but then by 10, 11, because we were right at the door, so we did get the full load of people going through. By 10 o'clock, we had maybe five salad bags, you know, three bunches of carrots and our two pints of cherry tomatoes. Uh, there were there was less traffic, so we started noticing that. And then across um, on the other side of the building was Windy Hill Farm, which um, they they saw the same kind of problem or the same uh, phenomenon. So we started talking, and that winter. Um, we got together, um, again, like I say, with the third farm that's uh, not with us anymore, but we got together and we decided why don't we pull our resources together and um, basically uh, that's how, how it started. So the third farm did only herbs, so that was a nice um, bon ajout, a nice uh, compliment. compliment, if that's the word. Yeah. I like that. It, it, does that sound, is that the right word? Yes, that's the right word. Okay. So it was a nice compliment to the rest of the vegetables. So both the two other farms, myself and Wendy Hill, um, we did uh, the CSAs. So we, we did the alternating, but it just worked out fine. And we were still in our first years of farming because me and Anna, we don't come from farming backgrounds. Um, and we just started on, on our land. So Allison, she had 10 years back in BC. So her and her partner, they did have a bit more experience. So it helped us, like our farm, get to where we are now. And um, and then I can talk about, I guess, the challenges later. But that's, uh, that's the reason we joined, um, I guess, we created the cooperative and why we're still in it is because it helps us continue uh, to bring all our veggies every week and to have a fantastic table with everybody else. For us, um, it gives us, so one of the advantages of, is we would never have access to the Dieppe market as our, just our own farm. We could never have a big enough table. Well, I mean, I say never. At this point, we certainly couldn't fill a table and sustain it for, a, you know, the biggest. I think Dieppe is the biggest market in New Brunswick, if not the second biggest, maybe after Fredericton. Um, so we have access to this really amazing market through the organic corner. Um, we also have access to these really amazing mentors. So uh, we're the newest farmers, and unlike Eva and Alain, Kevin and I didn't go to agricultural college, and we ha- so we have access to their expertise, to, to Allison, to just this very supportive community of farmers that for us, just that is invaluable. Um, and I think it also fits with the idea that our farms are only as strong as the local and organic food movement is strong. So it's not just about building up our 
our farm, but about building a movement. And it felt very um, important, I guess, and, and welcoming when at an AGM maybe last year, uh, Eva and Alain said, our role as a co-op is to help Ferme Terre Partage reach their full potential. And I was like, wow, like, you can't do anything but trust these people if that's really, like, you know, one of the, this co-op's goals. Well, and maybe that's the thing that I've seen so often in co-ops is it oftentimes doesn't seem like everybody's looking out for each other and, and helping each other to reach their potential as as individual farms. Can you talk about a way that the the other farms in the co-op, besides just serving as a marketing outlet, have helped you guys reach your potential? Um, well, certainly acting like, you know, beyond beyond the marketing is just acting as, as mentors. So we've gone to both Windy Hill and Alva uh, in person just to see how they run their CSA. They've opened up their computers and paperwork and everything to us. They're always, you know, just a, a call away or an email. So, um, and that and that's on top of... Uh, you know, when you have, like, a really nice batch of broccoli, um, but there's already, you know, a farm that's bringing a lot of broccoli, well, just, yeah, send it. And, you know, maybe if it's a little bit, the heads are a little bit bigger or a little bit smaller or there's any difference at all, we'll put it on the table and we'll let um, the customers choose what they want instead of saying, no, like, it's broccoli. It's the same thing. We're selling ours first. So, in, in that way, we've re- really benefited. And so what have some of the challenges been with the co-op? Um, so one of the challenges that I'm starting to notice is, um, again, our farm has been there and has grown. So we are starting to reach our, our potential or, I guess, uh, the, the, our limits for the Diet market. We are seeing that, you know, we could still sell a few more, whether it's broccoli or kohlrabi, have a more consistent in that sense because there are some things that only come sporadically since our, again, primary uh, sales are for CSAs. Um, So we could always um, adjust that and get better in that sense to have more of a flow of broccoli every week, uh, kohlrabi, green onions. Um, But I do notice that at the end, we either each farm needs to start diversifying, like I'm talking more about my farm, I guess, because when we go to the the markets when it's not our week we are getting into the how do i say into the storage crops so every farm has onions every farm has leeks and carrots and shallots um some broccoli and cabbage so we need to go kind of out i know windy hill farm is doing a lot of asian kind of greens so they do uh, i think it was some of the tatsoi or kind of a leafy asian green uh they do jerusalem artichoke they do um uh, what if they tried ginger this year? So it's trying to figure out little things that not the, the two other farms are doing so we can bring that um, and kind of diverse, not diversify, but be different from the other farms. Um, so that's the challenge is that we do have a lot of the same veggies. That's what I'm finding. And do you guys make those decisions as a group as far as who's going to pick up another a new crop and run with it? Or is that something that each farm's really in charge of figuring out on their own? That will be actually this uh, in December. We talked um, 
me, Allison, and Kevin were the were the board basically, and we decided that we'll have an earlier meeting to kind of talk about how this year has been and do the I'm calling it the seed meeting because we will talk about uh, what crops basically do we want to include, do we want to have more of a continuous uh, um, consistency at the market, so then if that is the case for broccoli, which farm wants to take it on or do we split it amongst the three farms, that will be something we'll be talking about um, in about a month or so, so um, to talk about who's going to do what. But at the same time, sorry if I can add, at the same time, every farm still has their own vegetables because, again, again, I'm emphasizing, but we do all have the CSAs first. So that is first, and then market is second. So everyone's going to have carrots and cucumbers and red tomatoes and uh, broccoli, but um, it's all the extra stuff that we're going to talk about. Relative to the CSA, how how much of, of each farm's produce is going to the co-op at the farmer's market? Is it a, is it a 50-50 split or is it you know 80% CSA and 20% farmer's market? I'd see it almost, uh, from mine, Rebecca can, uh, can tell you differently, but I'd see it more 80-20 or 70-30, I guess, because um, we do have, uh, how many do we, 80, 80 shares about this year. Um, and so that roughly equivalents that we have to do 80 bunches of carrots. And when it's our Saturday, we for the market, we only have to do 50 bunches. So there are also veggies. I do talk about carrots a lot. Um, there are some veggies that we know sell uh, constantly at the market, such as carrots, beans, tomatoes. So those ones, we do know that we will add an extra five beds of carrots, an extra, like, uh, beans we, we plant every two weeks anyways. Um, so there are some things that we already calculate into it, and then other things, um, for example, right now, yes, again, broccoli, uh, we do only do our two beds, three beds, and then we'll do another plot. But it is mainly, like I calculated for the market, but we always add an extra 30% into our calculations anyways for losses, whether it's bad germination, transplant, like a, a bad transplant, or seasons not going well. So that's why there's always that 30%, but that 30% usually will, like we, we never have a 30% loss. So that 30% goes to the market afterwards. So it's really using a... I might almost say using up a planned buffer at farmer's market. It's not a dumping ground for your extras. It, it is something you expect to sell to and plan to sell to, but it's also in that buffer where you have a little bit more flexibility mm-hmm. than maybe you do with the CSA. I would say yes. Like in the early years, it was as a, like you say, the, the dumping or I don't know, but it was the extras go to the market. But throughout the years, now we plan for the market as well. And with that in mind, how do you determine quality standards? For the co-op. I mean, I know that that when I was doing farmers markets, we would bring stuff to market that was that was cleaner, was fresher, lasted longer um, than than a lot of the other farms there. You mentioned the importance of quality to your group. How do you guys create and then enforce those quality standards? Well, I think that's another of the challenges. Maybe not so much quality um, as just standard standardizing. Um, so even like bunch sizes at this point, and that's something that we have to work on uh, this year and into the future. Is like how do we standardize? So in you know maybe going through each crop and what a, what is a bunch and you know what 
what quality do we expect from that vegetable or from that bunch? Um, I think so far it's just sort of been, um, and again, the market manager's decision, but um, every farm has uh, pretty high standards for themselves. And also when you know that you're working with other people and that you're going to be judged by other farmers, maybe your standards are even higher. Um, and then it will be up to the market manager to decide if that is not going on the table or if, you know, one farm brought whatever, you know, bunch of salad turnips and they're just not moving and you have this other farm's bunch that are like way cleaner and shinier and better looking and you just decide to put them out and they start moving and that's okay. That's the market manager's decision. I will also add that um, it is an education that we do to the consumer as well. We will sometimes bring our kale and our arugula that has bite marks, bite marks in it. Um, so we do educate the people that we are organic, so we do not spray anything. So the insects will come and have a bite before we actually bring it to the market. And uh, But again, like Rebecca says, we do have our high standards that um, we will have, you know, the nice carrot, but at the same time, we'll wash it nicely and we can have a twisted carrot in our bunch as well. Um, again, it's just the educating. And if not, uh, we also do like bagged carrots, which will be for, as we call it, our number two carrots. So sometimes if they're too crooked or if they're a bit smaller or too big, we'll bag them as well. So we do try to push as much uh, vegetables to the market as we can. We, you know, we don't try to discard because uh, it's a little ugly. Yeah, and that's a good point. Like, it's up to the farm, you know, if you if you want to take the, the risk that it won't sell because it's not as nice, um, but it still, yeah, fits with that value of education and, and uh, avoiding food waste, then, yeah, send it. It doesn't, it, it doesn't hurt the co-op at all. Just more variety. And I wonder if you've had pushback from other farmers at the farmer's market about the fact that you guys are selling as a group and and therefore have, you know, what some people might perceive as being an unfair advantage. None at all that I've seen. Most people are congratulating us, seeing that it's a good thing. Um, people love us at the market. <laughs> Uh, Eva is really good at uh, going around and trading stuff at the end of the market, and uh, so she she knows everyone and talks to everyone and gets all kinds of other goodies from from people too. <laughs> she makes the, friends I'm with the, the strawberries, right? <laughs> I'm the market gypsy, basically. <laughs> but the strawberries, they, they, I can never trade them because they sell all out. <laughs> There's no trade with strawberries. Okay. <laughs> All right. And with that, we're going to take a break, get a word from our sponsors, and then we'll be right back with Eva and Rebecca. The Farmer to Farmer podcast is made possible with the generous support of Vermont Compost Company, makers of Fort B and Fort Light body mixes for certified organic transplant production. And while it may seem early to be thinking about next year's greenhouse season, you don't want to miss participating in Vermont Compost Company's fall pre-buy program. 
When you order Vermont compost potting soil for next year's growing season, you can save significantly on the finest potting soil that I personally have ever used. There are many great options for significant savings. Vermont Compost Company organizes shared truckload weeks where they organize and group orders by state or region. When you place your order to ship on one of these shared truckloads, they offer discounts on the purchase of your potting soil. Plus, they consolidate the orders so growers also save on shipping fees. If you want to get the best possible deal on Vermont compost potting soil, order a full truckload. This is what we used to do on my farm. If you don't need a full truckload yourself, get together with your farming friends and neighbors and order a full truckload together. This option offers the best possible price per sling bag or pallet and the best possible shipping rate. It's also the best option for growers who are a great distance away from Vermont. Growers who pre-buy full truckloads often end up paying a price for their sling bags that is lower than what growers pay for a sling bag picked up in Vermont. The fall pre-buy program runs September 21st through December 21st. For more information, visit the website, vermontcompost.com. Bandwidth for the show is provided by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are often mistaken for just a rototiller, but it is truly a superior piece of farming equipment. Engineered and built in Italy where small farms are a way of life, BCS tractors are built to standards of quality and durability expected of real agricultural equipment, the kind of dependability every farm needs. I've worked with BCS tractors for over 24 years, and I wouldn't consider anything else for my small tractor needs. And I'm not the only fan. More than 1.5 million people in 50 countries have discovered the advantages of owning Europe's most popular two-wheel tractor. And these really are small tractors with the kinds of features found on their four-wheel cousins and a wide array of equipment. Power harrows, rotary plows, flail mowers, snow throwers, sickle bar mowers, chippers, log splitters, and more. Check out bcsamerica.com to see photos and some really cool videos of BCS in action. bcsamerica.com. All right, and we're back with Eva Rehack and... Rebecca Fraser Chasson, and again, my apologies for butchering the French um, from up in New Brunswick. And so we were talking just a little bit over the break, and and Rebecca and Eva were telling me about some work that Eva has done with the National Farmers Union there in Canada, and and particularly in New Brunswick, regarding the the childcare subsidy that's available to to employees in that area. Yes, so um, I. I... Kind of when I, when we first had our first child in back in 2009, um, in our second year we put her. She was 16 months, and we had her from August to from March to August. And uh, at the end of uh, when we took her out, somebody said that there is a subsidy that we can be allowed to have two days paid per week. Um, that I should give it a try. So I gave uh, the government a call, and um, basically they started asking me questions. And as soon as I said that I was self-employed, um, they said I was not eligible. And uh, so after that, it was in 2013 that we started uh, tackling this with the NFU, the National uh, Farmers Union. And uh, so basically we did change it that if you are self-employed, you are eligible. But in our case, we were in a partnership, so that uh, kind of nullified our access. And then um, this year, Rebecca had her child go in January, so she kind of 
went to look if uh, she was accessible, had um, was allowed. And so I gave it a shot. And just to see where, where we were at, I called and asked if we'd be able to, uh, to access it. And last year we incorporated our farm and incorporate, because we have a third partner on the board um, or in our corporate, in our corporation, uh, we weren't, again, eligible. So that was our kind of, uh, our shimima, our, uh, our outcome would be the word, yeah. That would be our, okay. where we're at, basically. In the meantime, what have you done for child care arrangements? Um, well, we, uh, like I say, uh, the, the first one's in grade two, uh, second one has started kindergarten, and third one kind of tags along still. So we, we've always managed where um, Alain was uh, usually the one outside. I helped out as much as I could, uh, went out when I could, uh, either took the kids with me. Um, sometimes we switched that he stayed inside or took care of the kids and I went out, but we just always worked around it. Uh, my family comes down at least once a summer, my mom for about two to three weeks, so that always helped out. And last year and this year, we finally had an employee on our farm, so that helped out a bit, uh, a lot. And in our case, which is totally different, we only have one, one child, and I can't imagine juggling the three. Um, I mean, Eva is an incredible human being. Um, Lush. <laughs> we, um, so in an effort to, partly as an effort to, to bring attention to the fact that um, New Brunswick offers this subsidy for low-income New Brunswickers, which is great access, you know, better access to daycare, yet it's unavailable for New Brunswickers that are self-employed and that are providing employment in their community. Um, so in an effort to, to, to shed light on that situation, but also to uh, see if there was interest in our community in an alternative economy kind of exchange, um, we offered vegetables in exchange for someone to care for Hugo over the summer, uh, not in any sort of commitment kind of way. We were really just expecting, like, hey, I can drop by today and take him out for a walk in his stroller for an hour. And, yeah, that's great. Come by and, you know, we'll give you either some of our seconds or, you know, some vegetables that we pick out of the garden in exchange. But what ended up happening is that a neighbor um, of my grandparents saw that because we had posted this on Facebook. And uh, she wrote me and said, hey, I could take him three days a week. And I was like, whoa, that's, do you know how many vegetables you would be getting in exchange for that? <laughs> <laughs> um, and she was like, don't worry, I'm on... I'm on leave from work. I think this would be good for me. Um, so it was just like an arrangement that we couldn't have. Uh, we couldn't have dreamed of a better arrangement. And we gave her a share of our CSA. So every week I would drop off a basket of vegetables. And Hugo was so happy there. Um, and we had some other people who did the more like, you know, drop in once or twice or here and there. Um, so that was that was just amazing for us. Um, and the fact that we could both be, you know, have this awesome 
exchange without the exchange of, of money, just vegetables and someone caring for our child was was really awesome for us. So on your farms, I think it was Rebecca that was talking about how, how really your husband did end up doing most of the farming and you did the inside work. Is that right? I said that, Eva. Okay, I'm sorry, Eva. That's okay. Uh, yes. So, um, so I mean, I still work. <laughs> I didn't just right. I mean, it's. I mean, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> but I like I do more of the planning. You can ask Anna if you need confirmations. But uh, no, like uh, when it comes to planning, I'll uh, usually it's me for the seeds or what's uh, coming to be sown that week. I would always try to make a schedule. Um, ordering seeds and things like that, we still do together. But uh, the big plan of when to seed, what to sow, um, how much uh, Alain made a format, but usually I worked on that. Emails to our partners, uh, I took care of that. Um, Facebook, he was more the one doing it, but you, office stuff came down to me, yes. Yeah, and I think what's important, and anyone who runs a CSA or a small farm will know, is that that is just as much farming as being out on the BCS, because you can be, you know, running the BCS as long as you want. Nothing's going to happen if you don't know what needs to be planted and when and in what quantities and what needs to be harvested. I, I think I think Simon Huntley said just a couple of weeks ago on the show that that farming without marketing is basically just running a compost pile. <laughs> Eva, I mean that you've described your role. Rebecca is is yours similar on your farm? It is. I do uh, like Eva was saying. I do most of the communication with. CSA members. Um, I do the harvest lists um, and a lot of the planning and variety selection. Um, I mean, we still get our hands dirty. We'll, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll still go out and harvest when it's, I don't know if it's right to say it, you can probably edit it, but I mean, we will sometimes put them in front of the TV and I'll sneak out for sorry, for a few minutes, and it'll be me and Alain, you know, pulling out the carrots or washing them, bunching them, uh, or we'll, you know, have a late night, and once the kids are asleep, we'll bring in our crates of, again, carrots or salad mix, and we'll be bunching together and bagging and stuff like that. So, again, we still get our hands dirty, just you do see the, the men a little more outside, but sometimes we'll switch it up. And that's it's something that I'm struggling with as uh, uh, as having a first child, which yeah changes your life obviously, but also your life as a farmer, um, and for for everyone involved, um, more laundry and more planning around food and more everything else, um, but. Uh, yeah, if you have one and it goes for a nap and you put the baby monitor out and you're, you know, on the tractor and you kind of forget for an hour that you actually have another human that you're responsible for, not just plants and animals. You're, you're not going to get in trouble with Child Protective Services for saying that on the podcast, are you? <laughs> No, but I mean, it's just like when you hear all the stories of before, I guess we're leaving ours in their crib or, or at home, but I mean, you always hear the stories of the moms that take them when they go milk the cows or, you know, they'll put them in the hayloft or something like that to keep them occupied. It all comes down to it. You try to 
work around kids and family. And for me, I always thought that family and farm, it, it kind of goes together. Um, I'm not saying that without kids, your farm's not going to, you know, grow or continue, but I, I see it as the next generation. For, for me, it, it, like, it touches me that I want my kids to not necessarily follow in my footsteps because I didn't follow in my parents, but just to have this life and to see and to have that option, to have that opportunity. Um, so for me, it, it's just a big part. And as I've heard, we started our farm, and it doesn't happen often, but our first year, we had child and farm. So it was like two babies at once, but we just kind of plowed through it. And as stressful as it was, my big motto for myself is no one else is going to do this for me. This is what I want, and I'm just going to keep pushing. And we're in our seventh year, as Rebecca mentioned, three kids later. Um, we're we're still in, you know, we're still standing. We are sometimes sweating, but we're still standing, and another year's coming. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a bunch, you know, so many listeners probably have so many different tricks of carriers, like, thank gosh for baby carriers, and no kidding. Thank, thank gosh for <laughs> adaptable babies, and I think in in part, he's adaptable, and in, in part, he has no choice, and uh, he's been in a front or back carrier you know, through every every season and every job on the farm, whether it's on a tractor or weeding or harvesting or and um, what do you call those exercisers? You know, he doesn't really like it that much, but plop him in there and you can do a job for 15 minutes. And then if you leave them in the middle of a of a field, at least it takes them a long time to, you know. <laughs> to, to get to anything to dangerous. Yeah. So, all, these, all these tricks, and I'm sure we'll be learning them all our lives too at different stages. And also, I'd like to add, and I know that Rebecca does it with Ego now, but with our first one, we took her to the markets, too. We started in a smaller one. I, I don't think I'd take a child to Dieppe because it's very big, but we started in a small one, and she would take naps at the market. She would smile at everyone, whether it made more sales, I don't know. But um, Oh, yeah, Hugo is definitely our biggest marketing advantage. Yeah, You may as well get some value out of them, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you get a lot of likes on Facebook, at least. I know That's I see right. that. <laughs> but, I mean, I do. I don't use my my children in that sense. But if people ask, is this any good? Like um, pea shoots, people are asking, like, is this good? You know what? My three year old, he's not three yet, but he will eat a whole bag of pea shoots and ask for more. I, my my children sell the vegetables. As soon as I say that, my kids eat it, and it's not because they live on a farm, but they just they genuinely like it, and and it's just it's amazing. So just on that marketing note, when you guys are doing, <laughs> just to, I mean to take a little bit of a pivot and and talk about about your work with your farms rather than just talking about you know your kids, um, when you guys are marketing your your farms on Facebook. Are you also marketing the co-op or do you tend to focus that energy just down on on your CSA program? Well we try to tell like we try to make it clear that the organic corner because when you're just walking through the Dieppe market you just see the sign. You know, we might think, oh that's if you don't know us, that's just a farm that's called the organic corner. We try to make it clear to people that these are four family farms and that have families and that have faces and that have 
stories. Um, so part of the way that we can share those stories is through Facebook. Um, and then, you know, we can share whatever each farm posts through the organic corner and partly um, we've been talking about using some of our, our surplus money to make signs of the organic corner, but underneath who are the farms of the organic corner and pictures and, you know, one or two lines of a story so that people can get a sense of who it is that they're buying from. And um, through so when we also do use Facebook, um or the Organic Corner has its own page as well as each of our farms. So sometimes we'll directly put on Organic Corner. I know that um, when Kevin, he's very great with Instagram. So he does little videos or pictures and he'll post that either directly on on their farm and then share it through Coinbio or sometimes I think straight through Coinbio and then Terre Partage or Alva Farm will share that post. So we do our own individual posts when it comes to CSA, hey, this is what you'll have at the in your share and then later on in the week, hey, this is what's going to the market, find us at the Coinbio under um, with also cooperation in the, sorry, find us at the at the Dieppe market under the organic corner with the cooperation of the three other farms that we mentioned. So we do make a distinction that we are, yes, our own family farms with our own families, but we are also the organic corner trying to work together. And that way we can, like, harness the power of each other's followers, too. Yes. <laughs> Now, for your CSA markets, um, Rebecca, you mentioned that you're located 100 kilometers away, mm-hmm. and and Eva's located in you know on the on the other side of town. It sounds like is are you guys competing for the same customers in the CSA? We're yeah, we're about a like because we're further from Alva Farm than we are from Dieppe, so we're about a hundred and. 50 maybe kilometers from each other and we've focused our CSA energies in the north of the province well more specifically in Miramichi at this point but we're very um, like one of our values I guess or things that we see as being pretty important is uh, providing organic food to the northern part of New Brunswick because there's a growing movement. There's not uh, hundreds by any means of organic farmers in the south of New Brunswick, southeastern New Brunswick, but there's many more than in the northeastern part of New Brunswick. And we consider ourselves like just at the edge of the northeast. So we've focused our energy CSA-wise and market because we have a market in Miramichi as well on that part of the province. We have a few people, mostly friends, uh, who pick up uh, our CSA she- our share in Dieppe. And I will, I will add that from my, from my point of view, I do not see a competition um, with the CSA like customer base. Uh, we did increase from last year 30% and I think we will increase again next year. If uh, Tau Cartage wants to come to like get customers or we like to say partners because they do take a part of the share and um, if it's a bad year then they will also not benefit but uh, 
that's why we call them partners, but they will, they can also get some. Um, there are always farms popping up around Moncton, and we have not seen a decrease in our numbers. So I don't see a competition. If anything, I see um, that we work together because I know that uh, Kevin and Rebecca, they weren't going into Dieppe and people were asking about shares and then they just passed along our, num our names to those people. So we still help each other out even if it is CSA and not Organic Corner. But it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't mean that we, even if we were in the same geographic location, like Eva was saying, I don't think, we wouldn't see it as competing. Um, stronger, we're only as strong as the movement is strong and there's still lots of opportunity for growth. And some people will only come to a CSA because they know me or they know Kevin or they know Eva and Anand and that is what's going to bring them into this world of local food and of the market and of the organic corner. And nothing else other than the fact that they know us will bring them to a CSA. Yep. And also, there's some people that still are learning about CSA. Moncton, I think the population is 125,000 roughly, and there's still people that, are, that don't know what it is. So there's still more people um, discovering it, and there's still more. It is something that's always surprising. I know in our little world, sometimes it seems mm -hmm. like CSA is everything. And you go out and you say that word sometimes and people, and I've even been in, in groups of vegetable growers where people have said, can, can you stop and tell me what that means? And I'm like, mm -hmm. whoa, you know, it's always surprising. It's easy to think that the world is about local food and about organics and, and sometimes realizing just how much bigger that world really is can be a little bit of a shock. So, what do you guys see for the organic corner going into the future? I guess there's a lot. there's there's a, quite a few uh, options and a, quite a few routes we can take. Um, the main thing is at the Dieppe market, we are starting to hit a peak. We're, we aren't there yet. Again, we can diversify or have things be a, more of a constant week to week. But we do see the expansion of the organic corner. We are looking into either um, diversifying, going into another market, the Moncton market, um, and if not, uh, maybe doing um, selling. I wouldn't go to grocery store, but there is the Dolma Food, which I guess Rebecca, can you explain? I'm not. Uh, just a local grocery store. So, th like, they carry local and organic and specialty foods. And then, other than that, restaurants, maybe we can diversify with the organic corner. Um, and then, definitely, like, if, if, if it starts becoming, becoming a big brand, um, we're always thinking whether if we want to start doing t shirts and bags or getting a big truck for basically the transportation and keeping everything cold. But right now, uh, that's, I guess, what we're seeing. And yeah, because another market would then allow for more priority farms. So then you could have two farms. Uh, you know, there's, there's many ways that it could work. But because there's three farms right now that are that have a lot of the same fruits and vegetables. So you could have two priority farms, one at each market, and then one sort of complementing both of them. Um, so I think that would be an interesting formula, and especially if it's Moncton and Dieppe, because nothing would change transportation-wise. The two markets are maybe 15 minutes away. 
um, apart from each other. Uh, another option is, and logistically would be a bit more complicated, but like I was saying, the northeastern part of the province is kind of wide open right now for uh, organic farms, uh, organic food. I mean, clearly it's it's a smaller uh, bassin of population, a small smaller population, um, more scattered, but there's a lot of hunger. Um, we have gone to Caraquet, which is as, almost as northeast as you can go. It's maybe 200 kilometers north of us for to sell um, to sell meat, poultry, and sausage and ground beef, and people just go crazy because there's really no place to buy local and organic. So, yeah, logistically would be more complicated because it's much further away from all of us, but especially from the three farms that are closer to Moncton. Um, but that might be something worth looking at as well, how we could facilitate that and maybe our farm could take on sort of a, sort of a different role because at this point one either Alva Farms or Windy Hill is often like the, the center of, you know, bringing our produce and some, and coordinating for the, the market, but it could be the other way around. And another thing that um, we, we are kind of looking into, but again, our criteria is that they need to be certified, is trying to find different produce to add to already to our table. So we do have the vegetables, some of the fruit, but we can always get more berries. Uh, look at some uh, maple syrup producers or, again, the meat as well if we find some certified organic. So that's another thing that we're also looking into is trying to see who we would like to add and what else we would like to add to the table. And a way for each existing farms to uh, diversify or find, you know, how their their uniqueness in the co-op. So that's something that we're interested in is uh, livestock and eggs. If we could have uh, certified organic eggs at the Dieppe market, I think that would be a huge bonus for the Quambio. Uh, same with with uh, chicken or turkey or other meats. Obviously, we'd have to look at refrigeration, which would be an investment, but that's something that we can be considering for that amount of money that we're accumulating. Basically, stay tuned. Our AGM's in the winter. <laughs> All right. And and just one last question, just really specifically about the co-op. I, I mentioned earlier, I've seen a lot of these come and go, um, and it seems like what you guys have is working. Um, why do you think it's working? What what is it that's what's what's your magic sauce? <laughs> well, tell us. I'd like to know. Um, I think the, I guess one of the really big thing is that we we started small, and we're still kind of staying small without like really going big. So there's not much investment that went into it, and we're all kind of friends too. So we don't want the friendship to get in the way. But I think that's also something that helps with the communication, um, just if we have ideas, we bounce them off each other. We're not really too shy to be like, you know what, this isn't really working. Maybe we should talk about it. So I think um, that, yeah, we just have that openness and that we communicate. Communication is a big key, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I would say um, definitely 
I'm not sure what the what the magic is, but communication has a lot to do with it, and that's a role that, in this case, the three women or four women um, have taken on. So it's a lot of back and forth and honesty and um, trust. Yeah, we trust sure. each other. Yeah, just trusting that people have uh, each other's best interests. Uh, in mind and at, at heart, and sometimes we, you know, some of the some of the things that we've found challenging, quality control, standardization. Um, it's easy to get frustrated if there's a farm that you think isn't, you know, following in line. But when you really remember who that person is and what they're contributing to the co-op and what they've already given you, it's like, okay, yeah, clearly this isn't like them being, um, I don't know what the word is, not um, like méchant or they're they're not being pests or they're not being uh, negligent or irresponsible. Yeah, like it's it's just something that has to be. They're not doing it purposefully. Yeah, yeah, right. and it's just something that has to be addressed. That's it, and it's nothing more than that. Mm-hmm. And it's usually if we see something on the Saturday, we'll even address it right away, and then it'll change for next week. Or if we bring in a new item, and we're like, uh, you know, what? Do, how much? Do, like this year, I tried dehydrating. Um, selling dehydrated produce, so cherry tomatoes, leeks, and uh, sweet peppers and stuff. And I have no idea for how much, so I just kind of introduce it, and I ask everybody what, what their opinion is. And so it's really working as a team. You're, you're not an individual in this thing. And I think we, like, you know, you, you say you've seen it come, you've seen ventures come and go, and I think we... We will only continue with the organic corner as long as it's beneficial to each farm and to us as a as a co-op. Um, the main thing, as you said, what Alain said is that the cooperative is there to, I guess I forget how Alain said it, but to bring like the best out of that farm, to push them to get to their best. And I think that's what the cooperative is here to do. And uh, as long as we keep pushing... The envelope's not full yet, if that makes sense. That makes sense. All right. And with that, I'd like to turn to our lightning round here at the end of the show. <laughs> so, so Eva, what's your favorite tool on the farm? Oh, geez. My favorite tool? Really, my hands. Um, yeah, it weeds, it, it sows, it uh, doesn't chop, but... Um, yeah, no, I, I, my hands, it, it just, and not wearing gloves. I need to touch the earth. And Rebecca, how about you? Um, I wish I knew the name for this, but I'm going to have to explain. Um, but it's a it's a transplanter that's very old. Um, so it attaches behind a, a tractor, and it has two wheels that have these clamps. So it's for like bare root. So we use it for strawberries, planting strawberries. Um, And it's my favorite tool because it has so much history and 
Rogersville used to be like the cap, the Canadian capital of Brussels sprouts, and this is what they were using to plant Brussels sprouts. So you can you're planting strawberries in May, and people are like literally stopping on the side of the road and coming <laughs> out and t- telling you about how they used to plant and who their planting partner was and how good they were and how fast they were. It brings out so many stories. I love that. That's so rich. I love that. As you guys have been going through setting up the co-op and and growing the co-op, where have you turned for information? What are your favorite resources for for doing the work that you've done in the co-op? Each other, um, for sure. And Allison, Allison, our Windy Hill farm, um, has lots and lots of not only farming experience, but co-op experience. So she was a member of a co-op in British Columbia for 12 years and a bunch of other co-ops. And as well, we're, we're all of us are members of a larger cooperative called Really Local Harvest um, that's also a marketing co-op. So as far as, uh, and as far as like the, the structure of a co-op, um, there's lots of resources in, in New Brunswick that are specific to New Brunswick that have been really awesome. Um, there's a co-op council that's been very helpful. There's also, I mean, I add Acorn as well. They always have uh, workshops and things like that. If there's ever and po- uh, podcasts, I don't know if I've ever listened to one, but a webinar as well. I've seen a few of those. Great. And Rebecca, what's your favorite crop to grow besides strawberries? <laughs> That's the easy answer. Um. I think it changes year to year. So, like, um, I think one that you can follow throughout a whole season. So, tomatoes, I'm thinking of, like, I just pulled our tomatoes out of the greenhouse uh, last, our last row was last week, and just, like, pulling on this huge stalk, thinking, like, wow, this was a seed in my hand, like, you know, in, in, in March or April is pretty amazing. So any crop that you can follow throughout a season like that, I think is very cool. Eva, your favorite crop to grow? Well, I'm going to have to steal Rebecca's uh, answer saying that it changes season to season. Um, I do also like the tomatoes because they just have a fantastic flavor. Uh, celery, I like celery. We didn't do it this year, but I also like, that's the thing, I like celery and other veggies in that sense that are different, that are hard to grow, and that people are amazed to see that you can do that here. And melons, watermelons, were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say that's why Eva, well, Alva Farms is so well known for melons. Yes, yeah. So I love our melons too, and it's hard to choose one when you do about the 40 to 50 different varieties. Like, it's hard. They're just also tasty. Yeah. <laughs> They're all so good. Oh, and, man, yeah. But I, I, I like that you picked the one that really just proves that you're a badass. <laughs> ground cherries. I didn't even mention ground cherries. Those are so <laughs> <laughs> You just opened a whole can of worms now. A whole can of worms, yeah. So, well, once you, once you get into ground cherries, then pretty much everything's fair game after that. Oh, so. And dehydrated. Those are tasty, too. Well, and you mentioned the dehydrated uh, cherry tomatoes. I think there's almost nothing better. Those are like candy. Yeah. I I don't even cook with them. I just eat them like that. (laughs) And Eva, if you could go back in time and tell your beginning farmer self one thing, what would it be? Oh, geez. Um, 
plan more, I guess, and just, I, I don't know, just keep at it. You're, don't give up. And Rebecca, the same question for you. Um, I'm still a very, I still consider myself a very beginning farmer, so whatever I tell myself every day. Um, just plant more. <laughs> so Eva said plan more. I think plant more also. Yeah, um, all right. That too. Plan and plant. I mean, it goes hand in hand. Eva and Rebecca, thank you so much for being part of the Farmer to Farmer podcast today. Uh, thank you, Chris. It was fun. It was my pleasure. Yeah. All right. So wrapping things up here, I'll say again that this is episode 97 of the Farmer to Farmer podcast. And you can find the notes for this show at farmertofarmerpodcast.com by looking on the episodes page or just searching for CoinBio. That's C-O-I-N-B-I-O. Transcripts for this episode are brought to you by Earth Tools, offering the most complete selection of walk-behind farming equipment and high-quality garden tools in North America. EarthTools.com. And by Growing for Market. Get 20% off your subscription with the code PODCAST at checkout. You can get the show notes for every Farmer to Farmer podcast right in your inbox by signing up for my email newsletter at farmertofarmerpodcast.com. Also, please head on over to iTunes, leave us a review if you enjoy the show, talk to us in the show notes, or tell your friends on Facebook. We're at Purple Pitchfork on Facebook. You can support the show by going to farmertofarmerpodcast.com slash donate. I'm working to make the best farming podcast in the world, and you can help. Finally, please let me know who you would like to hear from on the show through the suggestions form at farmertofarmerpodcast.com. I'll do my best to get them on the show. Thank you for listening. Be safe out there and keep the tractor running. Farmer to Farmer.